If you want to turn in your Bibles to Revelation, Revelation chapter 4 this morning, we're continuing in our series in the book of Revelation, while Pastor Rob alternates with the study in the book of Daniel, kind of a combo uh, end time study. But we find ourselves in uh, Revelation chapter 4 this morning. Some of us use the word heaven. We use it in different ways. Maybe you've uh, said this to your children. What in heaven's name are you doing? (laughs) Or uh, sometimes people say, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You've heard that. Uh, I've often said this about California after coming from New Jersey. I got to California beaches and I thought I died and went to heaven. All right. Here's the one I can't figure out. Uh, Betsy's to heaven. What does Betsy's to heaven mean? I don't know. What is it? Heaven, yes, yeah, there you go, you got it. Heavens to Betsy, what does that mean? Heavens to Betsy. Who is Betsy? <laughs> well, this morning we're going to talk about heaven. Now, most people, when they use the word heaven, they're talking about that's the place believers go after they die rather than going to that other place we don't want to talk about. Heaven. Now, people who don't understand the Bible or haven't read the Bible, they think heaven is the place we're going to spend all of eternity. That's not what the Bible teaches. Heaven is a place that we're going to be temporarily for a little bit of time. But then if you read the Bible, there's also a time at the end of this age where we're going to spend some time here on the earth with Jesus in Jerusalem. Can you believe that? The Bible teaches that. It's called the millennium. Then after that period of time, there's another period where God makes a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be a completely different place. And God's throne is going to come down and he's going to dwell on the earth with men. So heaven is a kind of a temporary place. We're not going to spend all of eternity in heaven. Unbelievers think, well, we'll, that's where we sit, and we sit on the cloud and play a harp. No, that's not what heaven is like. So if you're thinking this morning, well, I'd like to know a little bit more about heaven. Well, you're going to be glad you're here this morning because we're going to talk about that place called heaven. Not our eternal home, but heaven. In our passage, uh, and you can see in your bulletin, uh, there's five realities, five truths about heaven found in this passage. It's verses uh, 1 through 11. So let's pray, and, and then we'll read all the verses and see if we can make some answer. The question is, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? Father, we thank you for heaven. <laughs> A lot better than hell. So, help us understand your word. Help us apply the truths in our lives right here on earth. 
Christ might be exalted in our lives. In Jesus' name. So let's read. Follow along with me. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet, speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance, and around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. And out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes, front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature was like a calf. The third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings are full of eyes round and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. First reality we see is heaven has an open door. An open door. Now the context is we've been studying Revelation John is down the Isle of Patmos. He has his vision of Jesus. Jesus gives him seven letters to the seven churches in Asia. And then after this, um, he is caught up and brought into eternity. Suddenly, he's in eternity in heaven. And the first thing we see in verse 1 is, as I said, heaven has an open door. Now, one of the things that always bothers me is there are certain people who are always restricting those who can go to heaven. Well, if you don't believe what we believe, you're not going to heaven. If you did that, you're probably not going to heaven. There's even a group that has a special number of people who who are going to heaven, and all the rest of us have to suffer here on earth. There's always people saying, well, if you're not baptized the way we baptize, you're not going to heaven. That always kind of bothered me. It says here that there's an open door to heaven. But lately now we have some going the other direction. Uh, I think the title of the book is Heaven Wins, uh, Love Wins Out. That's the title of the book where a pastor is saying now, eventually everybody goes to heaven. Wow, isn't that wonderful? And so what is it? You know, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who likes to consign people to hell. 
Well, that, that's not my way, and, although I can think of a few that I'd like to. <laughs> that deserve a little bit of hell, would you say amen to that? Uh, so what does the Bible mean when it says there's an open door to heaven? Well, rather than listening to me, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Hmm, that's a better answer. Now, a couple of passages. Look with me in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, just the previous chapter. Jesus speaking to the church in Philadelphia, good, solid church. It says, there's an open door that no one can shut because you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Oh. Now, what was that open door? Well, you could say it's an open door of ministry, but also within the context, would you say that it also can talk about heaven? Now, um, in John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, unless a man be born again, he shall not see or enter the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he shall not enter or see heaven. John 14, 6, what does Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father who happens to be in heaven except through me. Romans 10, Romans 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will not, we will be saved. And then he goes on and says, and we will not be disappointed. (laughs) Why will we not be disappointed? Because when we die, we're going to heaven. Now, as I said at our communion time, how then was the door opened? Well, we know that. Jesus opened the door through his death and resurrection. Now, we need to understand the heart of God towards us, his creation. Ezekiel 33 says what? He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the the wicked would turn and find life, repent and find life. So he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 2 Peter 3 says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And go to heaven. Revelation 22. At the end of this book. The spirit and the bride say. Come. Come. Let anyone who hears. Come and drink of the water of life. Freely. In Luke 15. We have the story of the prodigal son. The door was open. The father was sitting on the porch waiting. As a matter of fact, when he saw his son far off, he ran and got him. The door was opened. But he couldn't come home until he, what? Came to his senses. Heaven has an open door. So the question is not, is the door open? But the question is, the statement is, one really needs to desire what the door requires. What do I mean by that? Well, there's some that think that they open the door. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. They need to read the Bible. There are others 
that don't even know about the door. They need to hear the gospel. And there's still others that are living the kind of life that will never, ever bring them to a place where they even consider the door. They need our prayers. Someone once said, you're not really ready to live until you're ready to die. What does that mean? You're not ready to live until you're ready to die. When you consider the door (laughs) and what's waiting for you, talk to some older saints. What you'll find out is older saints, their perspective has moved from all the things on this earth, you know, that bother us younger folks, to a place where their their perspective, a large part of their perspective of life is focused on what? The door. (laughs) They're looking for the door. And that perspective changes how they live here on this earth. You're not really ready to live, really live, until you're ready to die. That's the question. Heaven has an open door. Second thing we see, heaven has a visible presence of the Lord. Heaven has a visible presence of the Lord. Look at verses 2, 3, and 5. Now, so John is, is caught up there, and he sees, he says, I see a throne and one sitting on the throne, but he doesn't tell us what it looks like, does he? Except he just gives a, a series of colors. Look, he's like a jasper stone, sardis. Uh, there's a rainbow, an emerald, uh, thrones and lightning and thunder. And there's somebody on the throne, but he doesn't exactly tell us. What he, maybe he can't even describe it in the words that he has, okay? Maybe that's what he's saying to us. But it's evident that the person or the being on the throne is God, because look at verses 9, 10, and 11. He sees the visible presence of the Lord. Now, there's a couple of parallel examples, small, but they're somewhat parallel. Remember in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated in the temple and his, and his robe filled the whole temple. And when Isaiah saw that, he said the first thing that he felt was his own sinfulness. You remember that? I, here, I'm an unclean man. Ezekiel has the same vision, similar to what we see here. And it said that he fell on his face in the dirt and the spirit had to enter into him and lift him up. Um, in the book of Daniel that Rob will get in a few weeks, chapter 10, Daniel has this, not of God, he has a vision of the angel, an angel, an archangel comes to him to give him a message. And it says those around him, they didn't see the angel, but Daniel did, but those around him, they, they were so freaked out, they just ran away. They said, something weird is happening here. We are so out of here. 
And this is only an angel. (laughs) What did Daniel do? He was on his face in the dirt. Now, John tells us that, notice it says, he was in the spirit, verse 2. So his physical body was still on the Isle of Patmos, okay? He was not there in his physical body. Whatever in the spirit means, he was not there. Now, 1 Corinthians 15.50 tells us flesh and blood shall not inherit heaven, kingdom of heaven. Why? Because these bodies cannot stand in the presence, the visible presence of God because he is so holy and awesome, we just end up in the dirt. Now, I don't think we can always grasp what it means to saying, when I die, I'm going to heaven. I don't think we always sometimes understand that because we're talking about being in the presence of one who from the smallest particle of DNA to the immensity of the universe that we can't even comprehend, he made it all. And you are going to be in his presence. We are, if we're Christians, that should affect us. There's a passage in Philippians chapter 3. I just want to read it to you. Rob had gone, did an excellent job in Philippians when he was going through that. But there's a passage, Philippians chapter 3. Here it is. Paul says in verse 14, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His whole life was constantly pressing on to that calling that God had in his life, okay? Now, how did he maintain that? How, how did he have that zeal? That Well, scroll down to verse 20, and he explains everything between verse 14 and 20, for he says, here's the reason, because he says, for... For the reason I press on towards the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is for our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. Heaven has the visible presence of the Lord. Now, I don't remember if, I don't know if all of you remember this. Most of you are old enough to remember this. Do you remember the end of the Vietnam War? When the POWs POWs started coming home? Do you remember that? Watching that on television? That's pretty moving. These guys had been locked up in in, uh, prisoner war camps for years, many of them. Do you remember some of them, what happened? Those guys who get off, who could walk off the plane, do you remember? I remember seeing this several times. They would come down the, gang, the, down the pathway, and what would they do? They would get down on their hands and knees, and what would they do? They'd kiss the ground. Now, I don't know about you, but I bawled like a baby when I saw that. You know why? You know why they did that? 
because they remembered what they had gone through and they knew where they were. They were home. My friends, that's just a smidgen. A smidgen. What's going to happen to us when we get through that door? We are going to be in the presence of a living God. Heaven has a visible presence of the Lord. Third reality. Heaven has believers who have left their old bodies on earth. Heaven has believers who have left their old bodies on earth. Verses 2 and 4. Now John says he was in the spirit, so he had left his body. It was on Patmos. And verse 4, we see these 24 elders clothed in white, which represents righteousness, with victor's crowns. Now, who are these folks? Well, we can get to fighting about this one. Some say they're angels, but I don't think so. Some say they're, um, they represent the whole, both the Hebrew saints and the New Testament saints. Because you got, you know, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 20, you know, that kind of works, but I don't think that's right. Because I don't think God is, at this stage of the end of the age, I don't think God is quite finished with the Israelis, the Jewish people. That's an integral part of the book of Revelation. Plus, their resurrection doesn't happen until later. Who are these 24 elders? I think they're the raptured church. Oh, what does that mean? Come on with me to two passages. 2 Corinthians. No, 1 Corinthians 50. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Let me read you something. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says this. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Can't go to heaven in these old bodies. Nor does the perishable, that's this body, inherit the imperishable. Can't go into eternity with these bodies. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Wow. What was he talking about? Well, let's, let's go on. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Will be, the dead will be given new bodies. But we will be changed. And he goes on. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal will push, put on immortality. Wow. Then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he gives us a little bit more help. Turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I think it is. Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have asleep, that's those who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with him those who have died, those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, those who have died 
with Christ. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What we believe here at Calvary Chapel, prior to what is described beginning in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, which is called the Tribulation, that the church will be raptured, be taken up to heaven. That is, those who are still alive and are in Christ will in an instant be changed. You'll leave this old body behind and you will be given a new body and you'll go to be with the Lord in heaven. At the same time, just prior to that happening, everyone who has died will also be resurrected and given a new body. And they will be in heaven. I think that's what we're looking at here. I think that's what we're looking at here. Now, sometimes believers get confused. They say, well, okay, wait, wait, wait a minute. So, okay, I know the resurrection, the rapture, we'll get our new bodies, but what happens if I die before the rapture? What happens if I die before what happens in 1 Corinthians 15 and Thessalonians 4? What happens if I die before that? Um, well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You go to be with the Lord. Yeah, but, but, but what are we like? We don't have a new body because that happens at the resurrection. You know, what happens in between? Well, if you go to your home fellowship, <laughs> that's what we're going to be studying this week. And I'll let you figure it out. It's a little, that's a, what they call a hook. That's going to hook you in. We're going to be talking about that. What happens before the resurrection when you die? Interesting thought. Now, this is the hope of eternal life. This is the hope of eternal life, isn't it? Now, if you're a non-believer, if you don't believe in Christ, you don't believe in heaven or, or you know, afterlife or all that, then uh, you only go around once and you better grab all the gusto because this is it. So when you die, it's over. You cease to exist. There's absolutely nothing. (laughs) That's encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing. However... Those of us who believe we have this incredible life with Christ where we see the Spirit moving in our life and we, we enjoy the presence of the Lord throughout this life. But then there's this, there's this whole new thing <laughs> that we don't even, can't even grasp. This adventure that it's, it's going to be incredible for those who believe. And we'll leave this old carcass 
hear. <laughs> and I say, Amen. Amen. And we'll have a new body. And not only a new body, but there's something more that God has for us. In this life, you know, remember that song? When we've been there 10,000 years, this 70 to 80 years or 90 years or whatever will be like, we'll be in heaven with the Lord. Be in eternity with the Lord. Leave the old body on the earth. Okay, um, how are we doing? Okay, heaven has uh, also eternal beings not seen on earth. Look at verses six and nine. Now, we have the uh, seven lamps which represent the spirit of God. We have this man or this being on, this being on, on the throne which we'll see is the father. And then uh, in chapter five, we'll also see the lamb which is a picture of Jesus. So we have eternity, okay? But it also has these beings. And notice what he says. There's four of them, and they're full of eyes, front and back, and they have six wings, verse 8, full of eyes, round within. Then notice, what, notice the word like. It's an important word, verse 7, like. So, He's seeing beings, these creatures, that he'd never seen anything like this before in his whole life. Got eyes all around, six wings, and he, he's trying to use language of this earth to describe something that's completely unworldly. And he says, it's like. So that's the best he can do. It's, it's like a lion. One of them is like a lion. The second is like an ox or a calf. The third creature is like a man, like has it like a face of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. That's the best he can do. He's just kind of, well, it's kind of like that, but I really can't explain it because he doesn't have words that match what he's seeing. Okay? But it's evident that what they do is they worship the Lord. You see that? They're always saying, holy, holy, giving glory to God. Now, someone said, well, these, these four eternal beings or these creatures represent, you know, characteristics of God that, that are always glorifying God. Mm, that kind of works. You know, the lion represents royalty. Uh, the ox represents strength and perseverance. Uh, man Intelligence, I don't know about that lately. Uh, the lion, the eagle, sovereignty, you know, that kind of picture. We'll just leave that one to interpretations. Now, someone might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Pastor Young. Are you telling me that you really believe that there's things like that in heaven? Do you really believe that? I mean, come on, that's, that sounds like something out of a science fiction movie, Amen or a science fiction book. Come on, you don't, you don't really believe that, do you? Well, here, let me, let me share something with you. Within the last few years, the, some of the scientists, oceanographers, have been sending probes with cameras and lights to the deepest part of the caverns in the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. And you'll never guess what they see. They see creatures 
Have you seen some of the pictures? Creatures and beings that are down at the very depths of the sea that look like something from a science fiction movie. They are so out of this world. I don't have any trouble believing that. Not in the least. Heaven has eternal beings not seen on earth. Now, what this tells us that heaven and eternity are beyond our conceptions. Guys, here's the phrase. You, you've heard this. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. And that goes for heaven and that goes for eternity. So just put your little closed mind aside and just imagine. Just imagine. What's that song we sing? I can only imagine. You can't imagine. It's beyond our comprehension what God has for us. Both in heaven and in eternity. Heaven has eternal beings and he has things that have no parallel on earth. It will take our breath Last one. Heaven has the Lord and worship at its center, verses 8 through 11. Now, I don't want to offend you, but heaven will not be about us and how we feel and what we think. Heaven will focus on the Lord and worship that he truly deserves. Now, what we do here on Sunday mornings is called a Worship service. We pray. We sing. We study the scriptures. We fellowship with one another. And even the offering is, we give something to the Lord. Now, I I was thinking about this morning. I think, wow. A worship service not only engages your thinking, okay, with the word, your emotions, right? With, as we worship, I mean, you just, I mean, you enter into it with your thought process, you enter it in with your, with your emotions. You also enter it in physically by giving. It's all part of worship. That's what worship is. Now, I've noticed sometimes that some of us skip part of the worship service here at Calvary Chapel. Some of well, uh, maybe skip some of the singing. Maybe, I don't know why, but they do. Uh, skip, maybe don't pay attention to the word or, or don't involve in prayer or even the offering. And I'm sure if you'd ask some of those people, they could articulate, give you good reasons why they don't do that. And they have reasons and they have things that they don't like or things that they feel, whatever, okay? And I'm sure they can articulate that. But can I tell you? What we do here on Sunday morning, for most of us, is the fullest, the only full worship experience that we have all week. For most of us. Which engages both our mind, our emotions, and our physical being. 
Now, let me encourage you all. Allow your Sunday morning worship experience to have a little bit of flavor of what you're going to experience when you get to heaven. Now, I'm sure that when we get to heaven, the quality of worship will not match. It will be way beyond what we have here at Calvary Chapel on Sunday morning, way beyond anything we've experienced. But you see, it's not about us. Nor is it about how you feel or how we think or what we want. It's about the Lord and about giving him the worship he truly deserves. Heaven has the Lord and worship at its center. Okay. Real quick. Story about a man who was sick and the doctor told him it won't be too long before he's going to die. The sick man turned to his doctor and as they were getting ready to leave the examination room, he says, Doc, I'm afraid to die. Can you tell me what's on the other side? Very quietly, the doctor says, I don't don't know. You don't know? You're you're a Christian, man. You don't know what's on the other side? The doctor was holding the handle on the door of the examination room, and the other side came in the sound of scratching and whining. So he opened the door. A dog sprang into the room and leapt on him with, on his legs with eagerness and gladness. Turning to the patient, the doctor said, Do you notice my dog? He's never been in this room before. He didn't know what was inside. He knew nothing except his master was here. When the door opened, he sprang in without fear. I don't know what's on the other side of death, the doctor said, but I do know one thing. I know my master is there. And that's enough for me. That song, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I want to see the Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I hope that is expressive of every one of us who are here this morning. Pray with me, please. Father, so many times this old world gets so old. Hmm. We're ready for heaven. Maybe some of us are just getting started in life and so we're not quite ready to get on that bus. And there's some of us who are in the middle of life and want a little bit more time to do some things. And we can understand that, those of us who are older, but some of us are ready to step on the bus. We're ready to get out of here. Whatever the case is, we... We long for your soon coming. 
We long for that moment, that, that final trumpet, that twinkling of an eye, that we can be out of this place. We long for the second coming of Christ. We long for the Savior. We long to be in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.